Well, a great start to the morning, great reminder of our completion in Christ, and thankful for that. And uh, we're going to get into the Word of God in a little bit here, but I'm going to ask um, our good friend, Pastor Gus Batistuzzi there from uh, Phillip Bay and Lighthouse Baptist Church in Sydney, and glad for, for him and uh, his group coming up. You know, I noticed last night when I mentioned that I, I still bleed blue, I got booed. But none of my fellow New South Welshmen backed me. That's what. And so I just, uh, I just thought I'd get my dung out tonight, I guess this morning. But anyway, Pastor Gus, if you could just pray and, uh, and just ask the Lord to uh, bless our day. And I appreciate you, preacher. Thanks. Good morning, family. Good morning. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this morning that, um, that we can be in church. Uh, Lord, truly, already, uh, we give you all the praise and glory uh, for, Lord, already our cup runneth over. Father, we thank you for this wonderful privilege that we have. So, Lord, we come as needy people once again in Jesus' precious name. Uh, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way and your will with this, uh, these meetings this morning and indeed, Lord, for, for the rest of the, the week. Father, we come because we need you. Lord, we understand that without you we can do nothing. And uh, Lord, we just need you to intervene in our lives, uh, to minister to us as only you can. So Father, we pray that we would come this morning hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We come that we would uh, seek the kingdom of God first. And Father, we commit ourselves to you that you would fill us, Father God. Uh, help, help us, Lord, to put um, the distractions aside and to have our mind set on you this morning, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We love you. Father, we take this opportunity as a family and as a church just to say thank you for this most wonderful salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, Lord, we, we stand in awe at the mercy and at the grace of God showed towards sinful man. Father, we pray that even today, if there be one in this place that uh, does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Saviour, Lord, we pray that uh, they would realise this morning that now is their appointed time, that today is a day of salvation, and that by your spirit um, you would bring conviction of the need uh, just to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Lord. We love you. We commit our preachers to you this morning. We pray that you would just grab a hold of their heart and you'd help them to preach with boldness and with unction uh, the word of God. We thank you, Lord. We love you. And uh, we pray that uh, you would be glorified through all that happens at, uh, at church today. We, and we commit it to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Our first speaker for today is uh, Pastor Mansur Yusuf, pastor of Faith Baptist Church in uh, Sydney, Australia. And glad for him and his friendship. We've uh, had the joy of co-hosting over the years uh, there in Sydney, the True North Summit, which is a just a meeting for young adults, a, a, a time that we can challenge the next generation. And it's been a joy to, to just, um, just see the Lord's hand on that, but um, just appreciate his friendship. And uh, one of the things that I know greatly missed um, uh, heading over here was the fact that I couldn't just drive and just see Brother Mansell and have a coffee in his office or have a meal around the corner. But glad that, uh, glad that we were able to still minister together in this way. And so, preacher, why don't you come, and I uh, appreciate you. Thanks. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. All right, well, good morning to you all, and glad to be with you this morning, and thankful for the opportunity to share God's Word. And hasn't the conference been amazing so far? Uh, wonderful preaching last night. Thankful for that message from Pastor Shimish. Uh, only Pastor Shimish can preach about dung. And uh, I walked away really paranoid, thinking that I'm smelling like dung, and I'm actually sure I scrubbed myself real well this morning. But it seems like the smell just goes with me wherever I go. I remember when I was a young man doing odd jobs while, I, while at university, uh, I had to deliver a box of seafood, and uh, you know, they put that in ice, etc. So it was in the boot of my car, and, and in the boot of my car there was a jacket that I had. It was uh, you know, one of those Nike jacket kind of things, you know, when you're young, that's what you wear. And uh, so uh, I delivered that box and never didn't think much of it. And a couple of days later, I uh, was wearing that, uh, that, that jacket and just had a smell. And everywhere I went, there was this bad smell. And I'm thinking, what is going on? Why is there such a bad smell everywhere I go? Uh, the problem wasn't where I was going. The problem was me. 
Uh, I was wearing this jacket that the seafood had leaked in, my, in the boot of my car. And you can imagine the smell of that fish on your, on your jacket. It's just, it was terrible. But uh, yeah, I'm just thankful for that message. and really reminded me of what God had uh, done in my life. And I think uh, it's true. We've all had some dung on us. And uh, that brought, uh, brought us unto fruitfulness. And uh, I'm thankful for also Pastor Skelly's message yesterday too, to know your flock. That really spoke to me. And, uh, and just looking forward to what God will do for us even this morning. Thank, thank you for coming out this morning. And thank you to uh, Good Shepherd, Pastor Hernan. Thank you for putting this meeting on. Uh, last night to see everybody here, just kind of, re- just I had a buzz, you know, in my heart just to look out at the crowd and see, wow, that was amazing. It just brings back memories of those days when we had those big mission conferences and at the Good Shepherd Leadership Conferences in the past. And so I'm thankful for what God is doing in your midst. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Ezra, Ezra chapter 7, Ezra chapter 7. And uh, as I contemplated the theme of this conference, uh, Let Us Return, the Lord just kept bringing this passage to my heart and to my mind. It's something that, uh, you know, I did preach to our church late last year sometime. Uh, But I want us to to address it today and see how the Lord will uh, just bless it and uh, help us to see some things that will help us in returning. I I have a burden for our country. I have a burden for Australia. Uh, When I look across our nation, and and I guess as I remember those golden years, you know, back the 70s and the 80s, and and, uh, how, uh, you know, churches were full and Bible colleges were full, and and, uh, God was just stirring and moving. And I remember when we'd go to the NBF in, in South Australia, and the place would be packed, and even, you know, sometimes here in Sydney, and, uh, and as I reflect on these things, uh, I, I look and say, uh, can God do that again for us? Would God do it again for us? Can we return and see God do some great things for us? And uh, as I look into this passage, uh, uh, I read of Ezra. Ezra, who was born in captivity. He was in exile. He was in ba- Babylon. But he was of the lineage of Aaron as a priest. And so let's take our reading in Ezra chapter 7. And the Bible says this in verse 1. Now after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub. Aren't you glad you didn't have a name like that, a hot tub? Uh, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Merioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. What a great heritage he had, coming from a good lineage like that. And this Ezra went up from Babylon. Here's a summary of this, uh, this book. He was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went up some of the children of Israel and the priests and the Levites and the singers and the porters and the Nethanims unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Father, we need you, Lord, this morning desperately. Father, would you meet with us in a special way with your Holy Spirit to fill this place? Will he minister truth to our hearts? Lord, would you open our eyes of understanding? Help us, Lord, to see what you have for us in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a little bit of background history to, to the book. Uh, you know that uh, Israel or the kingdom was divided before, between north and south. And uh, the northern kingdom was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And then about 150 years later, about 100 years later, the, the southern kingdom was taken into captivity in stages by Nebuchadnezzar. 606 B.C., 597 B.C., 586 B.C., 
And uh, they were taken into captivity. And you know the stories. There's Daniel and his, uh, his three friends. And, and uh, we, we know of other stories that were in the captivity as well. But God does something miraculous uh, through Cyrus. And uh, he declares that they could go back and reinstitute their temple worship. And uh, you can see that cylinder in which that decree was made. It's there in the museum. Um, and, uh, and God used this man who uh, Isaiah had foretold as well. And uh, so they go back and, and with all excitement with the treasuries of the temple with them. And, and they go back and, and try to build this temple again. But it wasn't long before they commenced the rebuilding that opposition came. And uh, they were fearful of what was taking place. And the work came to a grinding halt. And it wasn't until Darius came on the scene that again they went back, and it was about 13, 14 years later that they went and rebuilt that temple and finished it, and there was great rejoicing. And what a great time of great revival that they had uh, with the temple now finished, and they could minister and serve the Lord in that place. But it wasn't long after that that the children of Israel went back into a decline again. And uh, this is where Ezra comes on the scene. The first six chapters of Ezra foretells or tells us about what had happened in that period, how, how they faced that, all that opposition. But when we get to chapter 7, this is now Ezra's uh, calling and he's uh, being deployed out of Babylon to go back to Jerusalem and help teach the people again. The temple was built, it was finished, but the people's heart had waned. And is that so much if we think about our country? If you think about our country today, you know, 60 years ago, uh, there was some great revival happening. Uh, there were churches being planted. Uh, there were uh, conferences that were packed. Uh, our, our Bible colleges back then, uh, uh, you know, uh, there was such an excitement about going to college and studying and preparing for the ministry. And uh, as I survey our nation today and begin to think, well, what has changed? Why aren't, we, why aren't we where we used to be? I think the real problem is where we've let our hearts go. At least the condition, maybe the condition of our nation and condition of our leaders and what society is doing has influenced God's people. And we've kind of cooled off a little bit. And uh, we, sit, we sit today and we bemoan, we say, you know, we, once upon a time we had over 200 churches, uh, but today we've only got about 140, according to the last survey, that... Good Shepherd did over here. We've got 140 independent Baptist churches in all of Australia. And I, I look at that and I'm grieved over it to think, well, what actually happened? Why, why are we where we are? Why did we let it go this far? And what can we do about it? You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, it's all over for Australia. I, I don't believe that at all. I believe God who did it for us in the past is able to do it again for us today. And I think we've got to look to that and look and hope to what God can do in our midst and be able to revive our nation, revive our churches, revive Christians once again. Listen, we've only got one more shot at it. I believe Jesus is coming very soon. We've only got one more shot at it. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, Ezra had this vision. He had this understanding. He, he knew he knew what God had done for them there in Jerusalem. Uh, he knew about the revival. He knew about the, the finishing of the temple. Even though there was great opposition, now the people of God are rejoicing and they're serving and they're worshipping there in Jerusalem. But seven years have now passed and things have changed again. Things have changed again. Uh, there are problems in Jerusalem. And I, it's amazing when I read the Word of God uh, that uh, this king, this heathen king, uh, makes the decree and helps uh, uh, Ezra to go back. He says, hey, I want you to go back there. And I'm going to give you whatever you need to go and reinstitute and help and revive the people. You know, we don't need. Uh, God, God can use us and God should raise our vision and stir our hearts to doing God's word. It shouldn't have to take somebody who's unsaved to stir us to do something for God. Amen. You know, the world looks at, at the church and, and they, they despise it and they think, uh, you know, are you really relevant? Are you really effective? You know, it's because we have not stuck with God's word. It's not, we, we haven't stuck with holiness and righteous living. 
And because we, our, our lives have been filled with worldliness and with worldly ways, that the world looks upon us and says, well, are you really relevant anymore? You see, relevancy is not about us becoming like them. Relevancy is about how close are we to Jesus Christ and how well we reflect him in our lives and in our churches. So here Ezra understands the vision. And I think we need to get a good understanding of the landscape. I think every Christian needs to get an understanding of what's going on around us. We need to understand about the need that our nation has. Uh, if you're not aware, uh, you know where, where our government is going with legislation and all the stuff that has been introduced. We've been forced to drink some of that Kool-Aid. But I, I want to refuse uh, to take that on board. I want to refuse to believe what, that their agenda is the right agenda. We stick with what God says. And so Ezra, understanding what was happening in Jerusalem, is stirred to go back, I want us to look today through the story, this is an amazing story of this man Ezra, who was out of the priestly linehood, has been tapped on the shoulder to do something about it, has been tapped on the shoulder to go back and uh, go back and teach. Uh, uh, look what Artaxerxes said uh, to him uh, in verse 25 of ch- uh, chapter 7, and thou Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God, that is in thine hand, set magistrates and judges, which may judge all the people that are beyond the river, all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach ye them that know them not. Be executed speedily upon him, whether it be unto death, or to banishment, or to confiscation of goods, or to imprisonment. Amazing. Imagine if, if, our, if our country, if our prime minister would get up and make such a law and such a decree. I wonder what would happen. Will will our churches be busting at the seams? But this man was tapped on the shoulder to go back and to teach his people once again. To go and understand that there is a need and and address that need. I wonder this morning whether we have a real understanding of the need in our country. Now, I know there's a need worldwide. And I praise God that we get involved in missions. And my heart is for missions. We do a lot of work with missionaries and missions abroad. But what about our nation? What about this country of Australia? What about some churches in Queensland and some churches in New South Wales and Melbourne and in Perth and, you know, in South Australia again and Northern Territory and in Tasmania? What about our nation having some more churches being planted? Uh, What about some men uh, that will be raised to go and help and teach and declare the gospel? I have a burden for our nation. I pray that you this morning would would just raise your vision just a little bit and and just see the state that we're in and and maybe God can can do it again for us and believe and pray towards that end. Maybe God can raise somebody in our midst. Maybe there'll be some young people here today, even at this conference, that God would call you and that you would uh, join the ranks and and you'll do all that you can for Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not called, but certainly you can help your pastor. You can certainly help your church in laboring for the gospel. Get behind uh, the program of your church as you do outreach, as you go win souls. Every one of us do our part to win our nation for Jesus Christ. Ezra had to have a bigger vision uh, beyond himself and beyond his surroundings. Uh, He wasn't just content with just living in Babylon. Oh, life was easy in Babylon. In fact, uh, when the first uh, captivity returned, uh, out of all those that went out of Judah into Babylon, only close to about 50,000 went back. Now, when you think about that, the millions that went, only 50,000 were burdened to say, we will go back to our homeland, we will go back to rebuilding the temple, we'll go back to worshipping God in our nation. What a sad state of affair that was. Where people, the people of God were quite happy and complacent about living in Babylon. They had forgotten the promises of God for them. They, they were quite content with what they had right now. And unfortunately, I think today... As churches, as people of God, we, we've become so entangled with the affairs of today's life, we're just, we're just happy with what we have. 
Right? We're, we're just happy with the job that I have. I have a mortgage. I've got a car repayment. I've got school fees. Uh, and we're just busy with life as it is uh, you know, around us. And we've forgotten to just look a little bit higher. Forgotten to get a, a greater vision. But what would God do for us? Would God do it again for us? Uh, would we be stirred to go and say, God, if you would just use me, God, if you would just send me, uh, God, would you just have your hand of blessing upon me? God, I want to see this again. I want to see it again for the sake of my kids. You know, I saw it when I was growing up. I was a teenager. I was just a you know, 13, 14-year-old, and I saw it. And my heart was captured by it to the extent that I said, God, if you would just take me and use me, I'm prepared to go. We need our children to see it again. We need their hearts to be captured by what God is doing and say, Lord, it would just take me and use me. Whatever it may be, I'm willing to go. Why is it today that many are so preoccupied and, and studying at university? Look, I have no problem studying at university. I studied at university. But where's that burden in that heart in our young people to say there's a great need in our, in our country? There's a great need in our churches. Uh, why is it that we as parents are content to send them off to become lawyers and doctors and accountants or, or they'd be plumbers and carpenters and we teach them how to make money but we haven't taught them how to be soul winners. We haven't taught them how to pray. We haven't taught them how to study the word of God. We haven't taught them how to reach our nation. We need a greater vision. Ezra saw what God had done in the past and it saw where the people are now and said, we're not going to just table that. God, would you just use me? Would you send me back? God, would you just use me there to help stir the hearts of the people? I believe God can use you. If you just be willing to submit to him, God will use you. God needs just a faithful person who will obey the calling of God and, and it's through his power and through his grace that we could accomplish Anything that is worthwhile anyway. So Ezra moves and gets a few people together with him and gets ready to go. I want you to see that Ezra had done some preparation before making that commitment to go. The Bible says that for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. No, Ezra was one who saw the need but said, uh, I, I need to get ready. I, I need to do something about me. So sometimes we, we look at the need and we look at what the problem is outside, but we haven't looked inwardly first and said, am I ready? Have I put myself in the way? You know, I get people who say to me, Pastor, uh, how would I know uh, what kind of ministry I should do? How, how would I know if God is calling me into the ministry? Yeah? And, and my thing to them is, you know, just get in the way. Just get in the way. Get, prep, get preparing. Uh, get studying. Uh, get helping. Do some ministry. And as you are in the way, I believe God will clearly identify to you what he would have you to do. Yeah. You know, what's happening today, we, we, we want to be professional ministers. Yeah, you know, we, we, we just want to, we want the training and we sit on the sideline waiting for an opportunity. Uh, you know, people graduate out of Bible colleges and, and the first thing they're thinking about is, okay, uh, I'm just going to wait for the opportunity. Where the opportunity opens up, that's where I'm going to go. Uh, I think that's just wrong, completely wrong. This is not an application for a job interview. Uh, this is a calling of God upon you. So get up and prepare and do what God is showing you right now. And as you are in the way, God will make it clear where the next stop is. Ezra, before you can go back to Jerusalem, there's some things you had to do back in Babylon. In exile, uh, having a priestly heritage, uh, Ezra got to learning the law of Moses. He, got, he understood that if, if God is going to use him, he, he's, he has to prepare himself for that work. Now, I, I'm not one to say to you, you can't serve unless you've gone to Bible college, although studying God's word is helpful. But what I'm saying is that you must take time to prepare. You must take time to ready yourself. 
And you ready yourself as you study the Word of God and you serve at the same time. Uh, Ezra could not have been well equipped to go do that work had he not done the preparation. Sometimes we despise that period of time, don't we? We don't like the preparation time. Uh, we, we, we want to, like, God, I'm ready. Oh, I've got to get going. Well, you know, when I look through Scripture, many great men of God had a lot of time of preparation. When you think about Joseph, man, what did that man go through before he got, became, became to IC in Egypt? Right? Uh, Moses, 40 years. This is a man who grew up in Pharaoh's court, now for 40 years is sitting in the wilderness and watching sheep. Now you say, well, what do you learn out of watching sheep? To be very patient. I mean, if Moses had to lead the children of Israel, man, he was a patient man. Uh, I don't think I'm as well equipped as what Moses was. But he was a patient man. Where did he learn that? In the wilderness. David, running from Saul. Uh, you know, he was anointed uh, by Samuel, and uh, he was going to be the next king, but uh, he wasn't quickly jumping into that spot and saying, I've been anointed, Saul, move over. That's what some of us really think sometimes, don't we? We have a calling of God upon us, and we think that we can do it better. Move over. Let me do it. Have a time of preparation. Have a time of readiness. So here Ezra prepares himself, studies the law. But I love what the Word of God says. He, He didn't only prepare his heart to seek the Lord, but he was to do it also. He wasn't just an academic. He wasn't someone who just sat there and learned the law and just to have, have, be able to, you know, uh, recall it and, and discuss it and, and debate it and, and refute it or, or try to uh, win you over by his uh, arguments. No, no, he learned it for one specific purpose, that he was going to practice it. He was going to put it into practice. As so many of us sit in, in our churches, we're sitting on the pews, we're, we're hearing some great preaching, we're, we're doing some kind of courses online or, or in person or even in our own personal study time, uh, we want to just gather knowledge. I remember last year uh, running a course at church, uh, an eschatology class, and everybody was just hungry about knowing about the end times. Uh, they just wanted to know how this will come about and how that will come about. And I, I just had to keep saying, uh, this is not about just gaining knowledge about the end times. This should change us and make us more fervent for Jesus Christ today to win people for Jesus. Well, when I sit and hear preaching... I don't just want to hear it just to know it. I want it to affect my heart and change my life. I want to do it. I want to practice it. Hey, what do we gain? What do you gain by just coming here and preaching and walking away and not be changed by it? Man, go do something else. But we want to be affected by God's word, not just to know it, academically, but that we were put into practice to do it. There, there is the major difference in Christianity there. And you know, you as a Christian is not about how much you know in the Bible, right? It's not how you can recall a verse and quote it and, and uh, well, you can debate it. Uh, the difference in Christianity that we need today are people who are living Christ-likeness. That's what we need. I believe if we would be stirred in that direction, I believe God can do it again. God can do it again. We just need to move with the Lord and and, uh, know his word and and keep it and practice it and be Christ-centered. And I want you to see here, Ezra did all this with an end goal so that he could teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Well, he, he studied and prepared. He practiced what he learned. With what view to be able to teach it to somebody else? And I think that's what we need. Uh, Listen, you you can't, I've said this, you can't make make straight in someone else's life what is crooked in your own life. Now, I struggle with that. Sometimes I struggle when I get up to preach and God's already convicted me about my life in this area and I say to God, how am I going to preach this to, to the people? And God reminds me that you're just one of them. And just like how they've got to work on it, you've got to work on it. But, you know, we've got to practice what we preach in order for us to teach it to somebody else. 
Paul said this to, to, to Timothy, you've seen my example, my manner of life, and the things that I've taught. And so our young people need to see us being real as Christians. They've got to see it real at home. They've got to see it real in the workplace. They've got to see it real in the church. It's just got to be real for them to say, yep, it is real, and I'm going to sign up for it. Ezra prepared himself, practiced what he learned with an end view to teach. I wonder who you're discipling. You know, we think, uh, uh, well, you know, like discipleship, that's the pastor's job. That's, that's the deacons. That's, the, that's you know, the, the spiritual leaders of the church. And they're more capable to, to disciple somebody because if they ask a question, they know how to answer it. Well, what's wrong with us? Well, why haven't we grown in the word? Uh, why is it that we've been in church for 30 years and yet we still don't know how to disciple someone? We all need to get up and do our part. We all need to rise up to this challenge and, and see God do something again for us. Let's not just sit and wait and say, well, maybe God can raise someone. It'll be someone else's calling. How about us? How about you? How about me? How about we all get working together? To see God do it again. Ezra had a time of preparation in his life. He prepared. He actually did it. And he went to teach it in Israel. To teach Israel the statutes and judgments. Not only did we see Ezra had this vision and he had his self-preparation. But I want you to see that he had some ministry evaluation. Uh, he made the call and heads of families joined. As we read in chapter 8. I won't bore you through uh, all those names. But uh, we get to verse 15 and he says this in chapter 8. And I gathered them together to the river that runneth to Aheva. And there abode we in tents three days. And I viewed the people and the priests and found there none of the sons of Levi. Wow, that was interesting. That's interesting. Uh, here, uh, uh, there is a calling. Uh, it was a decree. People knew about what was going on. Uh, knew about Ezra heading back. And, and some uh, joined their wagons to his wagon and said, yeah, we're going to go do this. Uh, we're going to go back to Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to help them revive again and, and stir up the people and uh, get the worship happening once more. And uh, many joined, but you know who didn't go? The Levites. Well, that's amazing. It's amazing that they understood what was going on. They, they heard the decree. Uh, they knew that there was many families amongst them who, who chose to go back, but there was nobody from the Levites. Where were they? Where were the Levites? Uh, why weren't they burdened the same way that Ezra and the others were, that were going back? Uh, why were they so content in just living in Babylon? Uh, why weren't their hearts stirred? Have you ever asked your, yourself that question? God, how come you haven't stirred my heart? God, ha, 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 there's a, such a need out there. How, how come I am not stirred in that direction? Yeah, and it worries me. It worries me as, as Christians that we haven't seen the great burden of our country. It worries me that so many of us are so preoccupied by just uh, having a career. And there's nothing wrong with having a career. Uh, we're so preoccupied by how many homes we can own. Uh, uh, we have our, our, our first home and then we want another investment home. We want a home for our retirement. We want a home where we go on holidays. And, and that's all we're concerned about. We're concerned about how much we can accumulate when there is a nation out there that desperately needs Jesus. We're just content living as Aussies live. Is that right to say that? We're just content to live as others, Aussies, live. Where are the Levites? Where are the Levites in this room? Where are these men and women that God has stirred their hearts and, and they say, all right, I'm willing to forsake and I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to serve Jesus? Where are the Levites this morning? Where are the young men? Where, where are these men Heads of their families. Uh, you say, well, you know, Pastor, you don't understand. I've got bills to pay. 
I believe God can take care of your bills. Is that all right to say that? Is that, is that walking by faith or is that walking by sight? Where are the Levites? Ezra takes a survey of what's going on. He says, well, we've got this group and we've got this group. But, but you know, the weight of the ministry falls on the Levites. I mean, they're the ones who are helping in the ministry. Yeah, yeah, the priests are there and they're offering the sacrifice. But the, Levi, the ministry of the Levites is necessary. And God instituted it that way. But where are the Levites today? Where are the men in the churches that are going up to their pastors and families and saying, Pastor, we're with you. What do you want me to do? Uh, Pastor, what can we do in helping in this ministry? Uh, you know, I find it, I don't know what, what it's like here, but uh, I, I just find it that I've got to go chase people down and say, hey, would you do this for me? Uh, would you consider, please, uh, taking this ministry on? Uh, and I'm thankful for those who do take it on. But I'm just saying, where are the Levites that are knocking on the door and saying, hey, I, I can, I've got capacity. Uh, I can do this. Would you just help me uh, that I would do some service for Jesus? Where are the Levites today? Where are the Levites today? They were just quite happy staying in Babylon while their brethren went back to do the work. But thank God that Ezra had a bit of wisdom. The Bible says in verse 17, uh, verse 16, Then sent I for Eleazar, for Ariel, for Shemaiah, and Elnathan. Now, Elnathan must have been a very popular name because it shows up three times in this verse. There was Elnathan, and for Jareb, and for who? Elnathan again. Uh, and, uh, and for Nathan, and for Zechariah, and for Meshulam, chief of men. Also for Joarib, and for Elnathan. What a popular name again, Elnathan. And, uh, and men of understanding. And I sent them with commandment unto Edo, the chief of the place of Casiphia. And I told them what they should say unto Edo, and to his brethren, the Nethanims, at the place, Casiphia, that they should bring unto us ministers for the house of our God. Well, he, he sends an envoy of these 11 men to go to Edu and uh, just persuade him. Hey, we need help. We need help. Uh, it would have been a meeting where they sat down and said, like, do you understand what's going on? Uh, it would probably be in a meeting maybe similar to this. Hey, guys, do you know what is taking place right now? Do you have an understanding of what's happening back home, how there's a desperate need? Uh, uh, guys, would, would you be willing to maybe just step out of the roles that you're in and, and just join with us and, and help us to go back and, and bring about revival again? Well, that meeting went well because there were some Levites that decided to leave and go. And I think what we need, pastors, if you're here, I think what we need is not just praying for laborers. I think what we need is for wisdom from God to help us have a one-on-one -on -one meetings. Sit down with young people. Sit down with people who you believe God can use and, and begin to challenge them in that way. I think it would be a worthwhile activity, don't you think? I think it would be worthwhile. It would be quite wise of us to, uh, as the Lord leads us, to sit with people and say, hey, have you considered have you considered that what God can do in your life? You're a young man that, that loves the Lord. Have you considered, rather than going into the business world, rather than going into a profession, rather than going into a trade, have you considered that you would help in the ministry? And now I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to give you all that I can, all that I can do for you. I'm going to back you because I want to see God do something great in your life. Sometimes the Levites aren't there because we haven't put the call out. Is it all right to say that? Is it all right to say that? Sometimes the Levites don't want to join rank because some of us have such, we've downplayed the ministry to a point where why would you want to be in the ministry? But I, I remember, you know, I've only been pastoring for four years and and I had a call from a, from a man and I said, how's it going? I said, man, I'm loving it. Uh, you know, I, I've been in business for so many years, but I never got the same satisfaction and reward as it is now pastoring your church. And he goes to me, oh, well, you're still in the honeymoon phase. You know, the honeymoon will be over. 
Listen, I don't want the honeymoon to be over. I, I don't want to be feeling that way. I want God to keep that burning desire in my heart to preach his word, to help his people, to see something done in our country, that God will do it again for us one more time. Where are the Levites? Ezra brings now his group, and they're by this river of Ahava. In verse 21, it says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. So Ezra brings the group now and, and uh, they're ready to go, but before we embark on this journey, uh, we're going to afflict ourselves and we're going to pray, we're going to fast, and we're going to ask God to show us the best way to get there. You know, it's, it's a perilous journey. Uh, to travel from Babylon down to Jerusalem, this was, was not an easy task. It took him a few months to get down there. And there's robbers and thieves and, and uh, those who, you know, would stop you along the way and fleece you maybe or, or even kill you. It, it wasn't an easy travel. About a month ago, we were in the Holy Land in Israel and uh, driving just from Galilee down to Jerusalem, you go through the Judean desert, and there's, there's nothing there. I mean, there's just, it's just desolate land. And, and you begin to think, how did people make that track? How did people take that? How did they walk all the way down? And that, that's why when Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, he, he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. What happened to him? He got caught by the thieves and robbers and they left him for dead. This was a common affair. If you read the Jerusalem Times at that time, you would have heard of multiple uh, occasions of people who were killed maybe or injured or, or they were robbed along the way. What did Ezra do? He understood that he was in a precarious situation. The journey was a perilous journey. What did he need to do? Hey, before we embark on this, let's take time to afflict ourselves, pray and fast. I wonder how much fasting is part of our life today. Now, I'm not talking about you fasting because you want to lose weight. Right? You know that you've got these new apps about, you know, do a fast or whatever. You can eat from this time to that time. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about really afflicting ourselves because... We live in a perilous age, we live in perilous times, and, and we're asking God to show us a better way. God, how, how can I reach this nation? Uh, God, their, their minds are so far away from you. We've even got now new legislation coming through about this transgender stuff. God, they're teaching it to our children. God, these are perilous days. And without your help, without your guidance, without you showing us how to do this, Lord, Lord, we'll never make it. Where are the churches today where we're taking time in fasting and prayer? You know, we've gone so far, we're so against fasting in the religious way that the people of God have stopped practicing this means of afflicting themselves. Maybe God will revive that in our hearts and in our churches to seek the Lord's face, say, God, show us. God, we're living in perilous times. God, there's such a need. Lord, we just seem to be just a small light in this area. God, would you just increase us? Would you just broaden our coast of influence? Would you give us opportunities where we can reach people with the gospel? Lord, connect us and help us to win people for you. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful when God's people are on their faces before God pleading with him to do it again? Afflict ourselves. Afflict ourselves. So God gives them a direction and they make it all the way to Jerusalem. And you can read the story there in chapter 8. They'll go and they, they give the offerings and, and then they do a sacrifice of worship and thank God for what he had done for them. But then we get to chapter 9. And in chapter 9, now Ezra has to deal with a problem. Uh, he gets there and Verse 9, chapter 9, verse 1. Now, when these things were done, the princes came to him saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites 
have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers have, uh, have, have been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down as tongues. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Ezra not only had a vision of the need, not only did he have himself prepared, not only did he evaluate what was the need, but now he has to deal with the sin in the, sin in the, in the nation. The very thing that caused them to go into captivity has come back again. Now you wonder, you say, did you not learn? Like, did, did you not learn that this was the reason why in the first place that your heart departed from the Lord, you intermingled with these nations and they drew your hearts away and you, you started to worship other idols and you forgot the true God and, and generation after generation that your heart was so far away that God had to bring another nation and take you into captivity? Have you forgotten the seven years that you were in Babylon? Have you forgotten why you went there in the first place? You know, the funny thing is we could stand in judgment over that but we are just as guilty. <laughs> we're just as guilty. We've forgotten. We've forgotten the very sin that the Lord saved us from. Right? And the very lifestyle that God saved us from when we were in the world. And he cleansed us and, and purified us and made us the children of God. And, and we ought to grow in his ways. But you know what we did? After a while we said, oh, that, that looks fun. Just a little bit of that won't hurt. Just a bit of this in my life, it's, it's not that bad. I mean, hey, we're keeping our distance, aren't we? I mean, I'm not where they are. I, I, I'm over here. And, and if all we did was learn how to keep distance between us and the world, we're in a very dangerous place. Because you know why the world moves, waxes worse and worse as time passes by. Uh, there's going to come a time where you're going to be quite okay with the things that the world did many years ago. Uh, there was a time when they were here and, and you looked at that and said, no way, we can never do that. God would never be pleased with this. Uh, no, no, we're the people of God. We'll never go down there. But if all we did was focus on our distance between us and the world, well, the world is just going to progressively get worse. And if all we're doing is just keeping our distance, there's going to come a time where we're going to be where they used to be. And that's exactly what happened with the children of Israel. And there was great revival when the temple was finished in 520 BC. But now we're around about 458 BC. It's very different. It's very different. As 60 years have gone by, and, and 60 years, there's a couple of generations in there that things have changed. Wonder how much you've changed in your time as being as a Christian. I wonder how much you, in your life today, you're accepting of things that when 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you said, oh, I, I, we'd, we'd never go there. We'd never do that. You see, the, the, the issue is not about what distance you're keeping from the world. I, I ask this to you today. What's your distance between you and Jesus? Let's not focus on how well we've kept our distance from the world. I'm asking you today, how well are you working towards closing that gap between you and where Christ is? We get so carried away with things in this world that we begin to say, well, that would be nice to have. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. And slowly but surely, guess where we've ended up? 
You know, the problem here that Ezra found, this wasn't, this wasn't a practice that, you know, the, the lower uneducated people were doing, the ones who were on the outside of the camp, the ones who were never really close to Jehovah God. The problem was with their chief leaders. The problem was with their priests and the Levites. They began to practice this thing of intermingling and giving their daughters and taking their sons and, and getting closer and closer and closer and closer. Listen, my friend, if we need God to do it again, it's not about how we assimilate to the world, but how much more we're becoming like Jesus Christ. Amen. That's when God's hand of power will be upon us. God's not going to bless a work when everybody's living down here. God needs to rebuke us. We need to confess that, get right with God and, and pitch our tent to go back into that direction. And let God mold us and shape us by the power of the Holy Spirit, the illumination of his word, to be changed and to be transformed. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and perfect and holy will of God. Which way are we heading? What are we doing? Hey, at the start of this message... We all said, amen, we want God to do it again. And if you want God to do it again, your life, where are you at? Why is it all of a sudden it's okay for us? It's, it's okay for us that, you know, well, Pastor, you know, you know living in Sydney is pretty difficult. Yeah, you know, time pressures to kids. You, you want me to be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night again? And midweek service, don't you think that's a little bit, you know, that's just a little bit too much? I mean, can you tell me where in the Bible it says that you have to be in church Sunday morning and Sunday night? And I'm amazed when they ask that question. I say, have you read the, your Bible? And the book of Acts, they met every day. And, and, and they didn't just preach for like 45 minutes and it was over. Paul preached all night. And that's why we don't have you sitting on the windows. We all want you all to sit inside properly to be safe. Now, why is it that we have that spirit? Why, do we, why is it that we have that spirit? Why, why is it that God's people aren't so aren't excited about being in church? Hey, Pastor, why aren't we having a fourth service? And, and Pastor, why can't we? You know, we expect God to do something for us, but, not, but we're not willing to do something for ourselves. Yeah, you know what? We, we pray God. Would you help us win somebody? Listen, you're not going to win somebody unless you're going to get out and do it. God, would you revive our nation? Well, the nation's not going to be revived unless people like you and me stand up on the Word of God and begin to practice it in our life and teach it to others and live for Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen. We will continue in that state of decline. And it's sad for Australia. It's sad for Australia. It's sad that after 60 years of missionary work, and thank God for our American brethren who came and helped us, but it's sad that after 60 years, we haven't taken that gauntlet and run with it much further than what they did. It's sad that even today, you know, I, I was talking to Pastor Skinner, I'm saying, man, I, I, I need laborers. I, I, I need people, I put people on staff. Why are we struggling to do that? Why, why don't we have people knocking out, hey, pastor, I'm ready. I'm going to give, give up a day or two of my job, and I'm just going to come and help. Where are we? We're not going to make a dent into this problem unless the people of God rise up, have a greater vision, start preparing, answering the call of God. Let's, let's stop being just happy with life as it is. There's a great need. Where are the Levites today? And will we be prepared to purge ourselves from this worldly lifestyle, this worldliness that we have interacted with that has slowed us down and kept us preoccupied here rather than being fervent right here? Do we want God to do it again? I want God to do it again. I want it for my kids. I want it for my grandkids. I have a grandchild now. I want to see it for them. 
And should the Lord tarry in his return? I, I want them to grow up and see God working here, not, not, not in a land where it's just desolate, nothing's happening. And God can do it again. How many people say amen to that? God can do it again. God can do it again. But would we be willing to get onto God's program? Let's hitch our wagons together, folks. Let's all go in that direction. Let's all pull together that we will just have some impact on our nation, just bring people to Christ. Let's all work together in this direction. But we need to stop our bickering and our fighting. We need to stop this preferential stuff and dividing lines. You know, I'm all for separation from the world. But I don't want to start talking about separation from my brother and my sister. You know, we have the gospel. We, we, have, we have a great job to do. This is not time that we go focus on each other. This is time to go out and win souls for Jesus Christ. And I just pray maybe in a conference like this, maybe in a time like this that our hearts could be stirred. Maybe God today, the Spirit of God, has touched you. Maybe you're a Levite. You're just sitting in your seat. You're just on the journey. Would you get up and do something? Would you get up and do something? You know, one day we're all going to stand before Christ and we're, and we're going to give an account for our life. Right? Now, now whatever you're thinking in your mind today is a, is a great excuse why you can't be involved. Let me tell you, when you stand before Jesus, it's going to be quite pathetic. I remember as a little boy, I was 12 years old, we were very poor. I only had one pair of trousers for school. Oh, just one pair of trousers. Wear it during the week, mum will wash it over the weekend, wear it again the next week. Well, one morning I got up and my zipper wouldn't go up. I mean, no matter how much I tried, this, this thing just wouldn't go up. And I was like beginning to cry. I was in distress. How am I going to go to school? How am I going to go with my zipper undone? How, what are people going to say? For me, it was, it was so overwhelming that I decided to stay home that day. Well, my dad came home from work that night, and I told him what happened. My dad was quite stern. I just couldn't believe how he couldn't understand my dilemma, and, and you know, my zipper wasn't working. Uh, for me, that was the whole world. Like, my whole world had crumbled. My zipper wasn't working. You know, we laugh about that, because now I look back at that story and say, what an idiot I was. How did I think that because my zipper didn't work, I couldn't go to school? Now, you laugh at me, but I'm going to ask you, what, what is your excuse today for not living for Jesus or serving him? You, you might be overwhelmed right now in your mind thinking, this can never happen for me because I have so much pressure in my life. Let me tell you, when you stand before Jesus, you're going to think, how pathetic was I? How pathetic was that excuse that I thought this was my whole world and, and if, if I walked away, it's going to crumble? Listen, let's do all that we can. Let's do all that we can. One life, and it will sure, soon, surely pass. But only what's done for Jesus will last. I want to do some things that will last for eternity. I'm not saying to you that you cannot enjoy life here on earth. No, I believe Jesus said I've come to give him life and to give it to them more abundantly. I believe there's more fun, more joy when we are closer to Christ than when we're meddling with the world. I believe when we're serving Jesus, there's more satisfaction, more reward in this life than cracking the greatest business deal that you've ever done. Would God do it again? Do you want God to do it again? What are you prepared to do about it? Let's pray. Eyes closed, heads bowed. As the piano plays, uh, I want to invite you this morning to consider the Word of God. Uh, I'm not sure whether you would want to come forward, but if you do, let's get right with God today. Let's come and pray and say, God, do it again. God, whatever you want from me, I'm willing to do it because I want to see you do it again. Would you come and pray? Would you come and seek God's face and say to him, Lord, I don't know what my excuses are today, but they're insignificant. In light of what you want to do in our midst, Lord, it's insignificant. God, would you just do it again for us? 
Lord, would you help me do my part? Where are the Levites out there this morning? Why not join the group and say, hey, God, in whatever capacity, I want you to use me. This, would you use me, Lord? Would I be able to stand in the gap? Would you, would you use me in a way where oh, we can just win this nation? Why don't we ask the Lord to do it again? He is able to, and he wants to, but will the people of God get right with him? Oh, may God stir our hearts this morning to see the need and to action the need that we all do our part. Now, Father, we give thanks to you today for your word. Thank you for the life of Ezra and his ministry. Thank you, Lord, for your word. These things have written for our example. God, I pray that you would uh, change us, change our priorities, change our hearts, renew our thinking. God, help us to walk in the spirit with great power. Lord, would you be pleased to use us and do it again, bring a revival to our nation, to our churches, to our homes, in our personal life. God, would you do it again? Lord, we love you. Thank you for these, your people. In Jesus' name, amen.